The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing Will Ospreay, the locker room unrest, Road Wrestle Grand Slam, Collision Night 3, and answering your questions and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping a Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like Dark Mode. Improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Uh, that was a lot of uh, rundown you just did there. I mean, it, you're, you're making it sound like there's a lot going on in the world of New Japan where I feel like. You know that I, I call bullshit on that. You know, no, nothing, had, ha- nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. We had two shows. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> you don't have to catch me up on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you you're unaware of uh, all all that's going on right now. What I do know is Jeff Cobb's out there beating some ass. That's what I know. <laughs> Other than that, I I couldn't tell you. Uh, it's been pretty uneventful. You know, I, I was I was worried we weren't gonna have enough content to do a show this week. Mm. Thought we might need to do a best of. <laughs> Dude, there, there there is no way that I could sit through and re-listen to like three hours of four years worth of podcasts to try and pull together the best yeah, of and episodes. And unfortunately, we're not beloved enough to have like a fan who has compiled a list for us, you know, and presented it to us. Cause that would make life a lot easier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be out here winging it, <laughs> winging it more than I already do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, contrary to what you believe, young boy, we, we have tons to talk about this week here in the world of new Japan. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll do it. We'll talk about new Japan. God, 
But real quick, before we talk about New Japan, I just want to plug the Social Suplex Fantasy Draft, the 2021 Fantasy Draft. It should be on your feeds now if you are subscribed over at the Social Suplex Podcast Network feed. Had our annual draft where uh, podcasts on the, from the Social Suplex Podcast Network all drafting their own roster, 24 rounds, we drafted 12 men, uh, 6 women, 6 tag teams, and we're going to put together a, a fancy card that you listeners will get to vote on in the next coming week or so. So make sure you go out to the Social Suplex feed, check out the the draft episode, and you know, start thinking who has the best roster as we get ready to put together our fantasy cards. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm not a big fan of what they made us do here. Six women? <laughs> I had to draft six women? I, I was under the impression that we were trying to emulate New Japan and do a NJPW authentic show, and then they're like, you got to draft six women. I was like, for what for? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, I, we tried to take Peter, and they said no. Yeah, you know, just you know, just we didn't have the strategy there for for the women. You know, we were always focused on on the men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, so, we, we we did pretty good for our our women's roster. Here's, in my opinion, I believe that we have won the uh, draft the last two years running. Uh, there's no doubt about last year's. We definitely won last year's officially. Yes. I, th- I think we're the unofficial two years running back-to-back champions. So how can we keep getting like fourth pick every single time it's randomized draw? You know, and how come One Nation Radio? I think this is the second time One Nation Radio had first pick in three years. Two out of three. That's a I don't know. That's a little suspicious sound to me. So- something ain't right. <laughs> yeah, something's not right. Something's not on the up and up. The fix is in. <laughs> That's all right, because every year we still draft uh, an amazing roster. Like you mentioned last year, we officially won our fancy card, was uh, voted the top card last from last year's draft. And, you know, we, we're going to have a fire card again this year. Yeah. So you guys give that episode a listen. Really, really fun stuff. Very, very competitive, and uh, you know, be sure to uh, be on the lookout for our card and vote for us because get your boys over, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, this, this definitely was the most competitive draft that we have done. Yeah, we still smoked them, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of plugs, uh, we're gonna jump into our first topic here, which is Will Ospreay and the locker room unrest that's going on in New Japan. I was on One Nation Radio yesterday evening. That episode has dropped on the feed. So, you know, once you get done with this episode, if you haven't listened to that and you still want to get more New Japan, you know, discussion, um, hop on over there and check out everything that we kind of talked about. Pretty interesting stuff. But uh, I think we should definitely jump into it because I think, well, for one kind of fan, this is exactly what's on their mind. For another type of fan, I don't know that they're even aware of this or are just now becoming aware that this has even been a thing, basically. Right. So, also, the big news on uh, May 20th, New Japan announced that uh, Will Ospreay was vacating the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship due to a neck injury suffered in the May 4th match with Shingo Takagi and is going home to recuperate. And when that news story broke, 
even more news started coming out on what's what might really be going on with Will Ospreay and behind the scenes of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, that was last week, literally like the day after our episode dropped, and I was like, "Oh man, we're you know not to not that it's about us, but the timing just wasn't uh, fortuitous for you know this show because I was like, you know, I'd really like to kind of discuss this when it's fresh in the minds of people." And, you know, we're going to have to wait a week and who knows if it's, you know, what's going to be going on by that point. But as time has gone on, like the the layers of this onion to the story have just been peeled back more and more. And even still, many layers still remain because we don't have all the information or all the details, but we can definitely talk about what we know, what we think, what we are hearing, the speculations and the um you know, there's contradictory, you know, um, opinions and, and sources to this whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of question on uh, Will's actual status. Uh, Fumi Saito from the Pacific Rim podcast over at uh, F4WOnline.com, he said on his podcast that he wouldn't be surprised if Will Ospreay was NXT UK bound. Uh, and so that that stirred up a lot of conversation on whether or not Will is actually injured. Did he just, you know, kind of flee the country um, and drop the belt? And so we've been hearing a lot of things, a lot of different reports. I mean, essentially, what we're hearing is, uh, you know, obviously the Road to Wrestle Grand Slam shows were canceled along with the Yokohama Stadium and Tokyo Dome show. Gaijin talent were told that they could go home um, and then kind of last minute they decided to, I guess they got clearance to do these road two shows that have been happening the last couple days told Gaijin talent they need to you know, stay. Will Ospreay uh, was not happy about that. He he went, he's like, I'm, I'm going back to, to the UK. Um, and you know, the reports on his injuries, so, you know, there are some people saying, you know, he is kind of banged up just like how Okada's banged up, Abushi's banged up, Naito's banged up. He's hurt, but not to the point of where he couldn't have continued um, wrestling. And there's rumors that the plan was for him obviously to drop the t- title to Okada. He was going to get time off for the Summer Struggle Tour. Um, and then all that was also leading to to the locker room unrest. A lot of the Gaijin were kind of upset about the whole the quarantining process and um uh, how that's all happening and being told to stay. A lot of miscommunication. Um, two top guys, in, uh, it's, it's been reported that Jay White and Dave Finley were uh, uh, tested positive for COVID and they're being uh, now quarantined at the dojo. Um, and then you just saw a lot of uh, upset with, with the, the roster right now in the locker room. Yeah. And a lot of the uh, information that's out there is uh, due to the work from uh, Voices of Wrestling uh, and the Voice Wrestling podcast. So, you know, credit to those guys. Um, But yeah, Jeremy, I I think you did a pretty good job there kind of, you know, boiling down what's been going on. One of the more recent um, developments, even just today, Will Ospreay kind of tweeted out a picture of the x-rays of his neck. Um, and this is amidst the speculation as to the status of his health and the status of his, uh, you know, basically employment with the company, which is all in flux. I mean, you know, maybe there's not a story here, but, you know, p- nobody's quite sure exactly what's going on. Um, 
I'm not a medical expert, so I don't know. When I saw the the um, the the X-ray of his neck, like it didn't look like anything to me, one way or the other, because I don't have the uh, <laughs> the trained, you know, medical technical acumen to uh, assess what that was. We were in a group chat, and a couple of the guys were kind of trying to show me how the discs might be herniated or you know compressed, and that seems to kind of be the issue. But I was on um, Twitter, and you know, I, I I don't normally take my medical advice from Twitter, but I saw people commenting, and they were like, "Oh, he's barely got a neck, he's barely got a neck anymore." And I was like, D- "Really? I don't know what it, it. It just looks like an X-ray, you know." I'm kind of the same way with like sonograms, and people are like, "There's my baby." I'm like, "Where?" <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at when I see that stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I just don't know. But um, apparently, from what people are saying, it looks bad. But I think that what I've heard from people who kind of have a little bit of knowledge on this thing, the the actual X-rays seem to corroborate what we do know. So the reports basically mentioned that Will's been banged up for a while. His neck, he'd been having some issues. There were even even early preliminary reports of him having um, suffered an injury during the Shingo match, specifically off one of the shooting star presses that it was giving him like neck and shoulder issues. And that was even mentioned by Dave Meltzer the day of or the day after. So we kind of knew that there was something there. But um, – the, the most recent reports basically have stated – and keep in mind, this stuff could change as we get more information. But what we know right now is that the trainers at New Japan had looked at him. Uh, everyone's in agreement that he does have a neck issue. The the real – the um, I think where the breakdown is is how bad is that neck issue. You know, um, The reports we're hearing now are that – it wasn't bad enough to where he wasn't cleared to wrestle. He could still wrestle, and the plan was to go into the Yokohama show, or I'm sorry, the uh, Tokyo Dome the, show, the Tokyo Dome show, and have him drop the belt to Okada, right, and then give him the time off, sort of like what you mentioned. Um, but you know, a week ago, when they stripped him of the title, they didn't specify, but I mean, it sounded like it was really serious you know it's like his neck is messed up we have to take the title off him and it you know and i one has to wonder you know what the motivations were to kind of phrase it that way and because it sounded to me like oh shit like his neck's fucked like you know what i mean right but then but then we heard he was in england getting rehab and i'm like rehab not surgery you know (laughs) (laughs) right You're you're getting the title stripped and not surgery like this doesn't seem to make and you traveled internationally with a hurt neck that that was like the first red flag um and basically what the reports are saying now is that he was told he could go home when they thought the shows were canceled then suddenly like you mentioned the six row two shows or seven you know the non-televised one um were announced and all the foreign talent were asked to stay and to work and at that point there was dispute and he left and some of the reasons that have been cited were both physical as well as personal and emotional. Um, you know what that may be. We don't know specifically, but that kind of put the company in a place where they felt the need to, um, to strip him. One other thing of note, 
is it's been confirmed recently that Taichi as well as Kazushiko Okada were amongst the two that tested positive for COVID. And so this all is kind of happening at the same time as Okada tested positive and, you know, kind of wasn't available for that Tokyo Dome show as well. So I think there that's also part of the um, part of the issue with Will is like, you know, they're asking him to stay and work his next bad. He doesn't have an opponent lined up. The shows, you know, the Tokyo Dome and the Yokohama Stadium show aren't happening or are being um, postponed. And for whatever reason, he left. And now the title is stripped. And now we're left with a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, and something else to note um, on Twitter, uh, somebody asked the official Rev Pro account, you know, if, if Will's going to have to, you know, drop the, the Rev Pro title, how that affects the Rev Pro title situation. Um, and they were pretty much like, well, Will's going to, on a future show, probably come and address what's going on with him. And for right now, they're, they're not stripping him of the title because that doesn't um, affect um, any of, you know, their current tapings or bookings. Because obviously, you know, they were, they were, they were doing that tournament to, to get right. the, the SWE champion. That guy would have faced uh, Will for a unification match. I'm not sure where they are with that tournament right now. But, yeah, they had, they had no plans right away for any Rev Pro title matches. So, for right now, he will remain Rev Pro champion. Uh, something else to, to to bring into discussion too is um, you know there's reports of him and B Priestley breaking up and uh, B going back to the UK. It's heavily rumored that she's going to be starting with NXT UK sometime in the near future. Yeah, either NXT or NXT UK, some facet of WWE. That's the you know um, assumed thing. And so yeah, I mean that's another element to this um you know it, it it's it is speculation but it's not outside the realm of possibility that that is a factor in this decision to go home you know um one of the things in the report that were mentioned not just by fumi saito initially but also by um voice of wrestling on their patreon they mentioned that there's belief within the company, including wrestlers as well as office members, that Will is leaving the company to join NXT UK. Now, keep in mind, um, it was reported in 2019 that he had signed a five-year deal. Um, whether that's been confirmed or what the details of that are, right. we, well, we, well, he tweeted out um, on, in 20, on 2019, I think it was around August, he tweeted out, um, I belong on property of the lion mark for the next five years. So everybody assumed that meant that he right. signed a, a five year contract. Also, we have no idea if that was a contract, a handshake right. deal, what that exactly means. Right. We don't really know. And, you know, there was a wild speculation earlier this year about Jay White's contract situation. And a lot of people were wrong in that matter. So that's why I'm kind of hesitant to place any sort of assumptions on contract status, especially since we don't know the intimate details. But, and you know, especially that, for, for New Japan, just being so it's so weird for them to do multi-year contracts. That's what I was thinking. You know, um, when I heard it about Jay White, it kind of made sense because they're grooming him for so long and he's dojo boy and everything. And I was like, I guess it's possible. But, you know. It is not really – it hasn't been their MO. You know, it's, they've typically stuck to one- or two-year deals for the most part. Um, 
not saying it's out that they couldn't have done it, but um, yeah, that's strange. So, but if we were to believe that that tweet means exactly what it sounds like on its face value, yeah, he's got a five-year contract. Um, but yeah, there's people that are in the company that are saying that they believe he's going to NXT UK. One of the things with that report, though, was that there seems to be a lack of – this could be a mistake because there seems to be a lack of understanding within the company and possibly even within the office as to what NXT UK even is. And they may be confusing NXT UK with WWE or NXT proper. Right. Um, you know, so there. that's kind of where we're at. Um, and again, this is in the midst of – other unrest that is occur and it's you know conjointly connected like there's other unrest within the company both domestic and foreign talent and you know there's rumors you know kind of circulating and spreading that come january when contracts are up there's going to be a lot of uh domestic or foreign talent that are maybe going to be exploring their options right there's yeah rumors going around we're going to see a kind of a big um you know guys in leaving you know guys should walk off in january you know typically in january the last several years especially with you know nxt trying to play keep, keep away and aw building we've seen we've always been seeing the last several years now several guys in talent even several of domestic new japan talent leaving to go to WWE, nxt aw and yeah. so you know with all this chaos or you know unrest that's happening in the locker room right now and People being unhappy, the, the whole COVID situation in Japan right now, and um, just the lack to, to have fans at shows, and just how the, the quarantine process. There could be some guys like, you know what? I'm I'm over with this. I don't want to do this anymore, and look we'll, we'll explore their options. And even um, Fit Finley was on a podcast recently talking about uh, obviously his son David Finley um, and his, his troubles with the quarantining and, and what's going on in Japan. That David, David Finley might be looking. That his options uh, come when his contract's up. Yeah, um, I mean, some of the things that people are upset about. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to kind of unpack here, and I think it's a, a little bit of a long time coming. Um, and keep in mind, it's not just the foreign talent; it's domestic as well. Uh, one of the things, and it was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's back, was a the can the, the cancellations. And then the COVID outbreak, followed by them telling everybody they could go home, and then suddenly the announcement of these most recent string of um, Road 2 shows. And part of the issue, uh, one of the reports I had heard was that the talent were not notified that they were going to have to work these tours. They found out when the announcement was made public at the same time as us, you know, so like when NJPW 17, 1972.com put that information out there, that's when the talent were like contacted and told like, Hey, you got to work these shows. We want you guys to stay. And, you know, not every, I mean, yeah, Japan's not the biggest country in the world, but I mean, even for domestic talent, they don't all live in the same area. I'm sure travel with the travel restrictions, living inside of a bubble, the quarantining that kind of applies to them too, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And then with the, with the, uh, domestic talent, like, or I'm sorry, with the foreign talent, same thing, but it's kind of exasperated. It's like they're coming into the country 
And yeah, they're having to quarantine for two weeks at a time. You know, in the past, we'd heard reports of them spending that whole time in hotels. Um, I think most recently with uh, the COVID outbreak, they were talking about some of them doing it in the uh, the dojo, which was not received well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, on top of that, they're like living in a bubble. So, you know, they're, they're spending all this time away from their families in a foreign country, quarantining, basically living, you know, completely exiled from, uh, you know, the, the public to the best of their ability so that they can perform. And then the shows are empty. The booking is heat heavy. People are getting, you know, have gotten sick with COVID, the cancellations, the houses are down creative is all over the place we've talked about the issues with them being like a heat heavy uh, company this past year with the booking and all the like different audibles they've had to call over the year you know over the past year and i think it's just something that's starting to wear on people and one of the things i was told was you know they they keep telling the talent you know just hold out a little bit longer and we'll get past this but with the with the fact that the Olympics are coming up and they're getting into even harsher and stricter guidelines due to the fact that the Olympics are upcoming, it doesn't seem that there's any end in sight. In fact, we were told by one of our listeners, uh, we were sent uh, an AP press release where it talked about they might not they might go into harsher uh, you know lockdowns until like July probably because of the Olympics and because of the outbreaks and everything. So it's like, where's, where's the end? You know what I mean? And then you look across the pond and across the, the world and you see what's happening in America and everything's opening up and people are starting to return to shows and travel and everything like that. And it, it's probably, uh, you know, it's just a huge contrast between those two things. Right. It feels like New Japan and just Japan in general are going backwards when they were the ones at the beginning of the pandemic that was handling everything so well, shut down for three months, came back to the empty arena, then limited crowds, had to wear masks, could only clap, um, and they were, they were kind of picking back up steam. We, we got Tokyo Dome, you know, everything seemed like it was kind of, you know, moving forward and getting better, but then for whatever reason... COVID cases are spiking, uh, and now, now they're kind of going backward. They had to cancel shows. There's more restrictions. You know, the U.S. Has, has put out an advisory telling people not to travel to Japan right now, and so there's just so much going on. Like you mentioned, the Olympics are supposed to be happening, and they're, they're trying really hard to get cases down and to make sure everything is, is as safe as possible so that the Olympics can run, and all that is just throwing – you know, New Japan up in a flux, and so everything that's happening with New Japan right now, it's it's a mix of COVID stuff, which is obviously they can't control, but like you mentioned as well, just bad, some bad booking decisions, some miscommunication. It's like it's like the perfect storm of, of everything bad happening from a uh, things they control and things they cannot control. I think like the one of the things I'd heard was the older, more seasoned domestic talent felt like disrespected when they were not notified by the office that they were going to have to stay and do this most recent string of shows, you know? Um, and so I think there's, there seems to be a breakdown in communication between management and talent, which is not helping the situation, you know? Right. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the cases now. I, I don't want to be presumptuous because I'm not there. I don't know the, exactly how the country's dealing with, with everything. But, you know, it's been a long – the one thing I can say is, like, it's been a long year. So, you know, I don't know if that is one of the contributing factors because it didn't. It doesn't look like these numbers started to rise until, like, November and they started peaking in January – and then came back down around March, and now we're in May. And they're actually trending down again. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not part of the, like, Ministry of Health or anything like that for them. So, But my, my one feeling is that, like, the PP has worked. Uh, it's shown to work from what, you know, all the studies and everything we've seen. And... You know, the, the real world example of uh, the shows they did all last year and the contact tracing, they didn't find any, you know, con- contributed cases or contracted viruses from um, the New Japan show. So that's why I'm like, I'm a little bit like, I, I get why they're doing it. I honestly don't even know if it's, maybe it is, I'm just a, um, you know, I, I'm I'm a pessimist, so I'm like, is it about the public health or is it about you know Japan being able to host the Olympics? That's what I feel like it's more about than anything else. Yeah, and also you know that they want that money that comes with having the Olympics and the prestige of hosting the Olympics. So I mean, I, I can see why you're thinking that. And I'm sure that does have. Well, that's the crazy play. thing. Um, we talked about it yesterday, and like James is saying, like the Olympics is a money loser. You know. Typically speaking, like it doesn't make money for the country. I'd have to kind of look into that. I'm not the biggest like buff on the Olympics, but he was saying, you know, it's more like the uh, the prestige of being one of the countries that were, were selected to host it. You know, that's kind of where the honor is as you know, it's not really about what it brings into the country necessarily, which could be right or could be wrong. I don't know. But uh Either either way, I mean they're they're dead set on doing it. Obviously, right. you know it got postponed last year. So yeah, and back to Will Osprey. You know there there are you know people in the company who believe he's not leaving um, New Japan and it will be remaining. Yeah, I mean the closest sources that we have, I've spoken to individuals who I I believe are very reliable, and they've told me flat out he's not leaving at all and you know other other podcasts and other news sources have said the same thing um and have even alluded to the idea that there are wrestlers in the company japanese wrestlers included who know for a fact or you know are stating wholeheartedly that with full confidence that he is coming back to the country and you know remaining with the company so there is kind of a conflicting thing there because there are um, credible sources on both sides. One one saying that there's smoke to the fire, the other one saying you know it's you know just a bunch of hot air. Yeah, it's very interesting that so many you know credible sources and, and, and news outlets are kind of getting conflicting information. So it's hard to know what to believe. Could, could you know, one side is definitely getting worked, and so you know, it's it's very interesting. You know, we just had the, the Brian Pillman, Dark Side of the Ring, and kind of reliving that, that that whole you know him working Eric Bischoff to get the release from WCW, 
is there some kind of work going on here? And, you know, is Will Ospreay really leaving? Is he, you know, like, like we talked about off air, you know, what what can they really do to him? Like, they already stripped him of the title. Like they, they can't right. force him to stay in the country. Um, yeah, I don't know what kind of repercussions there would be long term. I mean, um, you know, let's say hypothetically just for an in, for, for an example, if he went to like say AEW, where would their allegiance be? Hypothetically, would it be to sign this world class talent that's available? You know, or would they, you know, say no because he has a contract and that might cause legal issues? Or is this budding like, uh, you know, beginning of a friendship slash partnership between the companies like more important than kind of crossing you know a big company like new japan um and i think that kind of applies across the board so i mean that's another aspect that maybe people aren't thinking of but i don't think wwe for instance has that same sort of a conundrum you know right and and i don't know what new japan could do because i don't know what the laws really are when it comes to contracts like that like across you know international lines so i also i mean a contract's great and everything, but how can you – you can't make someone work for you if they don't want to. So let's say if, if they might even be inclined if he hypothetically asked for a release. They might just give it to him because I don't know uh, if hypothetically the um, feelings were really bad between the two. There's bad blood. Maybe they don't want to use him anymore, you know, right. and they might gladly give him that release. Yeah, and it could be, you know, very similar to, like, the, the PAC situation where PAC was like, you know what, I'm jobbing Enzo, screw this, I'm out of here, I'm going home, I don't care what you, I don't care, I'm under contract. Right, and eventually it worked itself out because, you know, there's a contract and that's all well and good, but you can't make somebody go to work, you know? Right. A contract's great and all, um, and I think one of the reasons we don't really know what happens here is because, you know, we've never seen this side of it where, we've never seen that side of it play out where, someone signed to a, a contract with new Japan and then decides to sit out. And I'm not saying that's what's happening, but in that, in that event, I don't know what's the, you know, what the end game basically is. Right. So yeah, and that's pretty much where we're at now. Obviously Osprey's out, not in Japan. He's back in the UK. And one of the things I just thought about too, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of thinking, you know, it doesn't make sense for him to go to NXT UK, but if he really wants to just stay in the UK and not go to the US, you know, he, when he worked Ring of Honor in the US, he, he didn't have a good time here. And uh, so if, he, if his focus is staying in the UK, we've seen with guys like Walter that, you know, get, getting a, a big deal to stay in the UK and work that NXT UK brand, I, I could see them giving Osprey the same kind of contract as Walter because Walter is able to continue to, you know, do his WXW stuff and do other stuff in the UK. They can give Osprey a similar deal and he may perhaps continue to work for Rev Pro and other UK companies while being a part of NXT UK. It's a possibility. Um, if that was his aim or goal, um, you know, I, I think it's just very, uh, the timing of this is very, you know, and I, I don't want to blame it all on like backstage politic things. Like his neck really might be messed up. There might be other things going on in his life where he decided to go home. I do think, however, it's a little bit um, ironic considering what happened with him and Sadie Gibbs in Japan. 
Mm. And, you know, the allegations of bullying because she left the tour due to a death in the family. And now now they're citing personal reasons for him leaving right at the height of the biggest push of his entire career. Um, and I'm not saying that in a vindictive way. I'm saying it's truly ironic. <laughs> like, it yeah. actually is. Uh, but, I mean, there's a lot to kind of consider. I mean, on the one hand, if he's really banged up and really hurt, we don't know the extent of these injuries. If they are more serious than than we know at the current time, I mean, you know, my thoughts go out to him and his family, and I hope that works itself out or any other personal matters that he has. And I, I can see it from both sides. I see it from his side. I also see it from the company side, you know. Um, and But I see where they both might potentially be in the wrong and I, that's where I kind of think the truth might be somewhere in the middle. Um, but one thing I will say, if the company is upset with him and it makes them look bad, this could be the – hypothetically could be the end of Will in New Japan. You know, I'm just saying like I said it because we saw – like dude, Loki wore a suit one time at the Tokyo Dome, a suit. And then they never brought him back again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it, and they never will. Like, they're not going to. Right. And, and, and we've seen, you know, for, for, so, for so long with the treatment of guys like Okada and TNA, how long yeah. that they hated TNA and Impact, even when management changed, even with the same people not in charge, how much they hated TNA. It's just now, recently, that they've opened back up communications with Impact and are, are allowing guys to work there. But it had been... You know, decade, years and years and years of. It's know. like someone told him, like, no, it's a different management crew, and they're like, oh, it's it's different, and like, yeah, we told you this three years ago, and we tried to apologize. I don't remember that, but you guys are different now. We, we, <laughs> might, <laughs> we might, we might do business. There are a couple things that give me hope, though, for Will in the company. One, the way that the company announced this, they really put the story out there that he was significantly hurt. I don't know if that's to save face for the company or to maybe hold on to Will, you know, to kind of give him a plausible out in this situation and make it seem like, hey, he's so banged up that we are, you know, hands were tied. We couldn't do anything else. And at that point, it's like it's understandable, and it and it gets simpy on the man. Um, so there is that aspect of it, but you know that could also just serve the perp- the best interests of the company, possibly. Right. Like the that, other that, that could be the best like kayfabe booking option they had. Right. The other thing is, um, I think Will is in a unique position because he has a lot of things going for him right now, and the fact that he was the head of the United Empire. Sure, he could get replaced, but you know, up until this moment, they were the hottest act in the company. He was carrying the company on on his back. Um, you know, he's in this two man race with Shingo for wrestler of the year in the company. I think the way things are going, he's probably gonna. If this doesn't happen, you know, he's you know primed to be that guy. But from a business perspective, I mean, they got the the unified title on him, and they're. There's sub two to three years of major mega blockbuster matches with him and all kinds of guys, you know, all kinds of guys. Um, and, and they've been protecting and saving a lot of those matches for this run for him. And, you know, you take him off the board 
are there other talented guys waiting in the wings that could step up? Maybe they're not Will Ospreay, but they could go into the limelight. Sure. But they don't have the years of history and investment that the company has put into him. And they don't have necessarily the protection of big money matches the same way that he did. And so ultimately this is a wrestling business. I don't know that they would completely throw the baby out with the bathwater in this situation, especially with, you know, I'm not saying the company's like done or anything, but COVID has taken a major hit on them financially from where they were prior to prior to COVID happening, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing. Yeah. They were doing, you know, record numbers, double Tokyo domes and COVID hits. And you know what, what I've been hearing is, you know, they have a, just a, a number goal of people like, right. They just, they just need to get X amount of people in buildings for the rest of the year. That's why we're getting a bunch of these cork and hall shows, even though there might be only, you know, 200, 300 people, that, that adds their, their tally of people that they need to get in the building for the year. And so we're going to keep seeing more shows so they can hit that number and get more people because they know people are going to come. So even just getting a couple hundred every day works in helping them get revenue and hit that number goal of people they want for shows. Yeah, and I think that's another um, issue that the talent have is that they're working an accelerated schedule due to the fact that the company is running more and more shows to make up for the losses from limited attendance numbers. But, you know, the shows are very much what we've kind of described here on this show is like, you know, there's not a lot of character development. There's not a lot of, you know, character growth. There's not great stories being told, feuds, things like that. And the crowds are, you know, minuscule at this point. I mean, this most recent string of tapings were like maybe the worst I've seen in three years. It's not totally their fault, but, you know, it's not good. And I think a lot of the talent are just like, you know, what's going on with our characters? What's going on with the booking, the vibe in the company, the feelings from the fans. And then we're being, we're asked to work exponentially more to make up for the fact that we aren't drawing the way we were two years ago, you know? Right. And they have to live in the bubble and they have to quarantine and everything like that, you know? So, I mean, this is something that I think, originally we hoped would be kind of cleared out in six months, three months. And it's like, it's been well over a year now and it's still ongoing. And the, the, the sad truth is in Japan, there is no end in sight due to the fact that they're not doing the vaccines. Right. Yeah. There's been a a very slow rollout of the vaccines. Uh, I did see a new story today that um, the Tokyo Dome is going to be used for mass vaccinations um, in August. Um, so that's still a couple months away. So, I mean, hopefully that's something that kind of gets a large number of people vaccinated. But as of right now, yeah, it's been a very slow rollout. Not many people are getting vaccinated. Um, and so also that's kind of that works against it, them right now. It's It's also a cultural thing from what I understand. It's not something that has been widely done in the past when it comes to vaccinations from what I understand Japan. So, you know, culturally it's just one of those things where like, it's just not part of their everyday lives, you know? And so getting people to adopt it, it it was not quite as easy as it was like, say here in the, in the States. Yeah. 
I think that pretty much covers a lot of the angles here. We've got a ton of questions that I think will help us uh, continue to kind of flush out what's been going on in New Japan right now. Uh, first comes from uh, One Nation Radio's Rich Latta. He says, is this the most chaotic NJPW has been since Brock Lesnar? <laughs> um, very well could be. I mean, um, that period was, you know, pretty crazy for sure. But, I mean, you know, I, I'd be lying to say that I watched New Japan diligently during, you know, the 05-06 period. I was aware of what was happening, and I, I eventually got around to seeing those matches. But, you know, it's just so so much harder to keep up with the company. P- prior to World, keeping up with New Japan was not an easy task, you know. Um, so I, I don't know that I could – I'd have to – I think, like, we'd probably have to go back through, like, observers and – you know, uh, Pacific Rim pods and things like that to kind of get a true feeling on, you know, the tumultuous past of New Japan over the past 15, 20 years. But very, I mean, right now, this is um, one of the, the more tumultuous times in New Japan history in like the past five to 10 years, for sure. Yeah. And also kind of a, a very sim, I'm not, not quite as similar, but also, you know, Brock, you know, taking the title, not coming back. And so, obviously, they obviously get, they're able to get the title from Will here, but kind of a similar situation with a top guy didn't leaving. Um, next question here from Reddy's are, why did you do that, bro? He says, if there's a singles match for the vacant IWGP World Heavyweight Championship at Dominion, who would be the best, the two best guys to put in that match? I would think Okada would be one of them, considering he was the next challenger before Osprey vacated. Yeah. I think it depends on what you want to do, really. Um, I think part of the idea was to give, to make Okada's winning the title a very meaningful thing. And so, sure, you could have him be in the match for the vacant title and then win it outright. But at that point, unless it's against someone super significant, like maybe say Naito or Ibushi, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that really means for the, for him. I had the, when I spoke with Rich and James yesterday, I said, if this was their idea, they might want to instead crown a new champion, wait some time. I don't, you know, I'm not saying they need to wait till January for the Tokyo dome, but that is an option or maybe prior to then, and then have the new champion have a defense or two and then drop it to Okada you know, on one of the major shows. If that's what you're trying to do, that's an, that's another option. Yeah, I mean, it's very kind of hard to kind of picture out what exactly their game plan is, what they're trying to doing. I mean, honestly, I think that the two best guys to probably have a match at Dominion would be Kazuchika Okada and Shingo Takagi. Um, also, Okada was already in line for a title shot. Shingo had the last title shot. He was kind of in the mix of the whole, you know, rivalry there of Osprey. And I think it could make a lot of sense for those two guys to be the ones to face off of Dominion. They've already had two previous great matches. So you know the match will be great. You can put it on on Dominion, you know, a big stage, kind of raise the prestige of Dominion again. And I think- I, I'm not a big fan of that, to be honest with you. Um, and, and for this reason, from a kayfabe perspective, um, Shingo lost the New Japan Cup final to Will and then got a title shot afterwards and then lost that as well 
So for him to come off the heels, you know, and sure, from a quality standpoint, those were fantastic matches. But from, you know, like the the AEW wins and losses matter sort of perspective, I'm just like, I don't know, man. Like he he lost his two biggest matches back to back in recent history. I don't know. I mean, again, yeah, I get it. It's New Japan, and it's not always a meritocracy. But uh, I'm kind of just the the only way I think you could spin that is. I saw Shingo say something where he was like, I lost the match, but I won the war. Yeah. Because he took out Will. And so maybe if you want to spin it that way, be like, he sidelined Will. So that makes him deserving. But I'm like, yeah, but you took the one, two, three. (laughs) Twice. (laughs) Yeah. In succession. So that's my feelings about it. I think one of the things, too, is like one of the answers in the past would have – easily been like you know okay well let's do a a four-man tournament but it's like they've done so many of those gold dashes at the tokyo dome in recent history that it feels like we've gotten a bunch of you know short order four-man three-man tournaments back you know in in recent times that it's like i don't i don't know if that's the best thing or the worst thing they could do right uh, next question here from Viking Pan has a series of questions here. First question, it says, who should be the next world champion and why is it Shingo Takagi? Um, now, I know you just mentioned that you weren't really a, in favor of Shingo winning the title with because obviously he just lost his two big matches, and I, I definitely see that point. But I think from a, from a consistency standpoint, uh, Shingo has great matches with everybody. I think he's very reliable. I think the Osprey matches has elevated his stock, and I think he's a guy that you can kind of trust, and I think it would bring some upward momentum in in, in a positive swing with a guy like Shingo having the title, at least for a temporary time. It could. Um, And, you know, there's probably some truth to the idea that you need to strike when the iron's hot, and he's one of the things in the company that does feel hot right now. And, you know, he's not a spring chicken either, so maybe, you know, tomorrow's not promised. So maybe it is the best thing to do. But my feeling had been long-term based on just the historical booking of Gato with all these major losses that he's um, had against Osprey. It just indicates to me that at some point he was going to get that big win. Now, they could go the Sonata route, the Sonata-Okada route, where Sonata – Finally beats Okada, but it's in a G1, and you know it's not for a title. Right? Uh, they could do, could have gone that way, but it was my feeling that down the line, at some point, not not now, but like, you know, maybe a year from now, or even further than that, when Ospreys maybe let's say in his second reign, Shingo becomes the guy that unseats him, and it's a major deal. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't know if, if that was – let's say hypothetically that's the plan. And I feel it, – it's my belief that that is the plan. Yeah, I don't especially know, since I don't, he's already beaten Will in a G1. So I don't, I don't think beating him again in a G1 would be that big of a deal. Right. So it's my feeling that it's like so do you want to throw that away by putting the strap on him now and foregoing the big money-making payoff that you might get down the road? Um. And, but yeah, you bring up logical reasons that maybe it's time for them to just go with him. You know, some of the same reasons that, like, for instance, I know Sir Sam. Shout out to him. He he wrote an article. He was asked. I think he's probably got a question here about it. But he wrote an article about Tomohiro Ishii, and I think like a lot of the reasonings that he kind of 
provided for why someone like Ishii should be champion in this moment. I don't fully agree with that statement, but I think you could apply a lot of those reasonings to Shingo, you know, yeah. but I just feel like those two losses are what hurt him right now. Right. Uh, since you mentioned, let's jump to it. Uh, Sir Sam's question. He says, what are your thoughts on my idea that Ishii should be the man uh, for, of the moment of NJPW? I don't think so at all. Uh, not even a little bit. Um, I wouldn't even begin to uh, entertain that idea. And here's why. Do I think that there is room and space for Ishii to be the guy to, to hold the, the strap? I do. But unfortunately, I do see it as a Nakanishi-esque, you know, thank you for your service. We're going to honor you and give you the big one once sort of run. I don't see it as we're going to give you the strap and let you carry the company in a time of dire straits. And I don't see them building around Ishii. I don't see them drawing around Ishii. I think he's an integral, important part uh, of the company, but he cannot be the guy that carries the company when shit hits the fan right now, unfortunately. And I mean, I'm saying this as like Ishii's probably one of my top two or three favorite guys in the company, but it just business wise, business wise, it does not make sense. The same way how I didn't think last year that they should be putting the title on evil, that he was the wrong guy for that time. I think Ishii is the wrong guy for this time as well. Though the matches would probably be awesome, right? And like you mentioned, it, it's it's still a, a business, and as much as we all love Ishii, like I, I'm not sure putting the title on him right now would be the thing that kind of helps business. Even if the matches were like five stars, right across the board, like just critically acclaimed, and even if the storylines were super compelling and everything, I just don't because of the way that they've. Per- trade him over the past years and also because right now at this moment he's in the middle of a six-man tag unit and there's no heat behind him you know now if the situation was different and Ishii was like rampaging and beating guys then maybe I'd feel different about this but right now because we need a champion in in the next month no (laughs) yeah and I think and that I think that's the edge that Shingo has over a guy like Ishii even though right. he, even though he's lost the two will matches, he still had a lot of momentum. He did well in the New Japan Cup. Got to the final. He beat you know he beat Okada in the first round. He beat a lot of big people. You know he had a tough road in that New Japan Cup. Um, you know he's had amazing matches all year. So I think he's a, a little bit more hot right now. There's a little bit more fuel on that Jingo fire. Where I, I would go Shingo over Ishii. Yeah, um, and also we don't know who is completely available because there have been certain talents that are still kind of sidelined during these Road 2 shows, and one has to assume it's probably because of the uh, COVID protocols and everything like that. But um, to kind of answer these questions and to go back to an earlier question, if if it was me and I was going to have two guys right now fight for the title, I think I'd probably do Kota Ibushi or Naito, one or the other, um, against Minoru Suzuki. And I would put the title on Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, I heard you uh, talk about that all, on One Nation Radio yesterday. Uh, hey, it, it kind of fits the, the pure theme of Olds on Top. So, <laughs> <laughs> my, my whole thinking with it is like there's a story, there's a built-in storyline of Suzuki's never held the big one in New Japan, you know? 
he's a believable entity at being the guy that carries the title. And, you know, we're kind of in a, in a sticky situation where the person who's at top does need to be a draw, but they don't need to be an out of this world draw. In fact, they probably shouldn't necessarily be one right now, given the fact that they're a live touring company and they can't like do that many big numbers because of the, uh, the shutdowns and the quarantines and the curfews and everything. I feel like he makes sense to me as someone who can have great matches draw within this particular realm beat guys and it not hurt anybody and then drop the belt to someone like Okada and he'll be totally fine at the end of it. And I think of like his, you know, it's been like his most recent world title run was the GHC title run in 2015. They did big business, but I'm also thinking about like, you know, he was very credible as the never champion, the IC champion in recent years. I don't see why he couldn't be the one to carry the belt. Um, and it would be something fresh and new, but familiar all at the same time, you know, right. and, and any like world title matches that they do during that run wouldn't be protected matches. I'm pretty sure Suzuki's wrestled everybody on the roster already um, in, in for the most part. So the, that would pretty much, you know, those matches would matter. They'd be big deals. You know, let's say, let's say they do him in Tanahashi, for instance, yeah, like we've seen it lots of times, but it's still going to do business. But it's not. But you're not blowing a Tokyo Dome match or a G1 final, if that makes sense. So I, that's what I would do. Mm. I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it does. Um, back to Viking Pain, he says, has Obari dropped the ball as a president of NJPW, and how much stock do you put into the foreign mutiny story and the rumored foreign exodus that could happen in January? Uh, I think it's probably, you know, relevant in the fact that we've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of times in the past, regardless of whether things were good or bad in, in Japan, where foreign talent have walked, you know, and I, we're not just talking about the elite. We're talking about every year it happens. AJ <laughs> Styles, Nakamura, uh, Gals and Anderson, Lance ben, Archer, ben Ricochet. Yeah. A lot, lots of examples. So it's happened many times. So, you know, with that being considered, plus we're hearing it from multiple sources, plus, you know, the David Finley example or Fit Finley example. Um, yeah, I think there's probably some truth to it. And I think it's I don't I don't see it as being a wild speculation personally, uh, considering the sources. Right. Um, as far as Obari, I'm not sure if he can really say that he's dropped the ball. Like, I'm not sure, like, you know, if he's the main one of like the miscommunication issues that are that are happening between, you know, him and Gato's crew and, and the talent. Uh, I mean, he's he was thrust into a very difficult situation, you know, taking over a company in the middle of a pandemic. This is something where, like, we heard a lot of speculation about how thing what was going on in the company when Harold May was present. And we haven't heard a lot of speculation about Obari, but the reality is most people don't really know what's going on from that perspective. So, I mean, I couldn't tell you if Obari is doing a good job or not. Um, some of these issues could have been, you know, because of his predecessor and because of the, uh, the COVID outbreak, or it could be directly related to him. I don't really know. I don't think anyone... I don't think anyone credible would tell you that they know 
either unless they had firsthand knowledge. Right. Uh, next question. Do you guys think that with all these COVID vaccine issues in Japan, New Japan should start sending more Japanese talent to the U.S. to work strong and to get vaccinated? Arizona, Louisiana, and Texas will give vaccinations to foreign travelers. Yeah, I've heard about these um, you know, destination vacations, like holidays to Flo- or like to America. I think Florida might be one of the con- or one of the states too. I'm not totally sure, but yeah, I mean the the reality is in this country, we've for the most part, we're past the point of de- like the supply is outpacing the demand. And for those who are in other like parts of the world who want to get vaccinated but can't cuz they don't have access to it, uh, some of them are like taking trips to America so they can be on vacation and get vaccinated simultaneously. So, yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't know if they're allowed to do it, but if they are, great, you know? Yeah, there are already some people who are calling, you know, Nagata working strong and dynamite, and now Kojima working impact. They're calling, you know, the New Japan dad vaccination tour. You know, getting some of these you know older guys to to uh, to America work strong work impact work AW get vaccinated while you're here then go back so I'm I'm not sure if Nagata isn't kind of, isn't kind of crazy that none of them are work, working ROH it's very interesting yeah no one's really talking about that but yeah like they're here they're working these shows but they're not working ROH so that's weird. Um, what terrible thing or booking decision will it finally take for you to start your own mutiny and exodus from New Japan? Mine would be a zombie lumberjack match. And I don't know. I mean, like right now, I'm already at the point where like um, – I kind of said this to Rich off the air. Uh, I was like – we were talking about like Noah and I was like, dude, I can't watch Noah because like – if I'm watching like Noah and it like fuck and it's really fucking good, I might like not come with the same kind of energy that I come <laughs> <laughs> to keep a strong style with, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a tell in and of itself. Like um, my, my interest is at a, probably one of the lowest points it's been um, since we've ever done this podcast, but it's because the creative direction of the show is lacking. The, the matches are repetitive, you know, the talent pool is waning. Um, the, the stars are aging. Uh, it's just, you know, we're, we're in a lull right now and it's this fucking COVID it's this fucking, you know, virus. Right. And, and that's for me, like the thing that I'm still kind of like holding out hope for. It's like, you know, you, you rewind to February 2020, New Japan was on top of the world. You had John Moxley defending against Minoru Suzuki. Uh, you know, just just did double Tokyo Domes. Like, the, the, there were so many great things that were getting lined up and planning to happen before the pandemic. And I know there have, there have been questionable booking decisions since they've restarted, but I still think, you know, if there was no COVID, we'd be seeing more mocks we'd be, we'd be seeing an influx of the, the new japan strong guys like leo rush and dickinson and lawler coming into the country we'd be seeing some fresh matchups that way we'd be getting our best super juniors and having all these cool juniors come in so uh, yeah it's it's um you know i don't want to make anyone feel like i'm even considering you know um stopping my coverage or viewing of the product but you know, I'm I'm pretty lax right now. Like, if I miss a 
road to show or not maybe miss it but like if i just kind of skim through it like i'm pretty much okay with it because you know as we're about to probably discuss here in a minute like there's not a lot happening <laughs> right um but to, to answer his question yeah if there is a, a zombie lumberjack match like there was at a uh, wrestlemania backlash yeah, i think i would be <laughs> tuning out in new japan i'm trying to think of like what's the thing i hate most in wrestling um I don't know what it is, though. Oh, I mean, if they bring women in to wrestle. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> That's just a joke. I like women's wrestling. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what it would take. I. Who knows? Yeah, it, it would have to Yeah, go, go to really, really, really bad lows. The Peaky Blinder asked us, do you think the new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion should be determined by who wins the G1? Or will the G1 be too late in the year for this? Could the G1 be moved? Is it even possible to plan a G1 or even a tournament in this pandemic situation where things seem to be changing on a week-to-week basis? This is a great question. Yeah, I think if the the G1 was sooner, I, I think the G1 could have been a really cool way to crown a new champion. It would add some, you know, more spice to the G1. Like, not only are you getting a G1 winner, you know, the winner is getting the title. I think it would, you know, just add that, you know, extra. And there, and there's no briefcase. Right, yeah, no briefcase. Oh, so, God, yeah. I'm so over the briefcase. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, uh, it, it seems like the G1 is going to be in the fall again due to the Olympics trying to run again. So I think, you know, waiting until, what, September, October is way too late to try and crown a new champion, they need, they need to crown something a champion before then. That'd be a detriment to the to the product and the brand. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's a possibility. But I do think that his question is very interesting. You know, provided things don't change and there's a a lot more uncertainty with the situation come G one time. I mean, what will they do? What if people are getting sick and having to quarantine and leave shows? And I mean. You know, the tour last year, the tour was like, what, a month and a half, two months. Yeah. I mean, what if someone's out for a quarter of that and they lose three or four matches, five matches? You know, I don't know. Like uh, that's these are some eventualities I think they need to kind of prepare themselves for from a booking standpoint, because it's like, you know, are they even going to have enough guys active and ready to go in the country come that time period, you know? Because typically, when they do the G1, it's like the the biggest drawing cards that they do for the whole like touring season all year long. And it's like, what if they can't even fill Cork and Hall? What if they're doing like two to three hundred people for fucking G1 shows? You know what I mean? Right. That sounds disgusting to me. And yeah, from a business standpoint, I don't know. I think they need to kind of be asking themselves this very question right now. Yeah, and it might be something where they they might need to take a Ring of Honor approach and maybe have some kind of like talent bubble set up where there's some kind of location where all of the talent are staying and not letting them kind of go back home for the duration of that tour kind of thing. I don't know. But I think that's kind of what they're already doing for the most part. The the problem is they're a live touring company. That's what their brand is all built around. So, mm-hmm. you know, they since they're already sort of doing what you just described, the next logical step is to do it like ROH behind closed doors. And then they're losing money 
and there's no reason for them to really do it except for just to kind of honor tradition at that point, if that's what they're doing. I mean, um, and I don't see them going that route. So yeah, this is a tough one. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, next question from EMJ that's PR. The time has come. Sukabayashi has tapped you on the shoulder and says, Jeremy, young boy, guess out of this mess. Gator reluctantly hands you the book and says, book yourself out of this, Mark. What do you, with the roster, no Osprey in the top of the card? One thing I thought of, you could maybe push Jeff Cobb. Yeah, that, that is a good option. You know, they've been feuding him with Bushi. The heel run has been great for him. He's a guy, yes, he's done some G1s. He's had some good matches with some of the guys like Tanahashi and stuff like that. But I, I, to me, I feel like he's totally re- rejuvenated in this heel role. and it's, it's a new Jeff Cobb. And I think he could become that kind of, you know, gaijin monster heel and just wreck through the domestic baby faces until you build up like Okada or whatever to take him out. Yeah, that's one thing. I think I kind of laid out my my basic plan would be, I mean, I might just put the, the title on Suzuki and have him hold it till the dome. Mm. Yeah, so for me, I, I think I would have tried. Or, or have him win the title, drop it to Okada, and then you do Naito and Okada at the dome again. Yeah, that is a possibility. Um, I, I think as far as determining a new champion, I wouldn't mind them doing like some kind of eight man tournament, um, like start doing it at the Royal Dominion and maybe have like the semifinals and finals on the Dominion show. Um, I think that would be a way to a spice up the the Road Two shows, which there's something at stakes and makes people want to actually watch what's going on there. Um, and then not just kind of randomly picking two guys. I think a you know eight tournament eight man tournament you can pick previous champions. Um, and some of the top contenders. So who would you have? I mean, you got Okada, you got Abushi, Nai- um, Naito, Shingo, Shingo uh, Tanahashi, Tanahashi. I would do Zack Sabre Jr. Jay White. Yeah, Jay White. Yeah, and uh, maybe Suzuki. Yeah, and maybe you could you could maybe take Suzuki or Zack Sabre out. Maybe I don't know. Put one of those. Uh, Empire guys in there, something like that. But yeah, I mean that's an option. Uh, but my whole my problem is there's not a lot of. Um, I mean the the two most recent Road Two shows, like there's not a lot of story development taking place, and we were kind of hoping that over these n- next six shows with Dominion that there'd be a lot of story development and feud feuds, you know, kind of building. But they're not even doing that, and I think part of the reason why is because again they need the flexibility for whatever the big shows are going to be because they don't know what the day-to-day is really going to look like with a COVID outbreak. Right. So and they're, pl- they're plus, like, they're still weighing on people recovering guys like Okada and Tai right. Chi and also guys that we can kind of guess who are still missing. Um, you know, Rapunky 3K, uh, Yu Yamura. There's still a lot of names that are, you know, Despi, Kanamaru. Right. Exactly. So that's kind of the dilemma that they're in. Um, but yeah. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, with the rumors that Osprey may not be seriously injured going around, do you think NJPW may find themselves in the position of disclosing more specific details regarding his condition than they are used to in order to kill these rumors? Will they continue to continue business as usual? 
I don't think so. I think for the time being, I mean, they're going to play this one close to the chest, um, especially if there's a chance of reconciliation. Um, and I don't, I don't even say that in the sense that like, there's for sure a rift between them. You know, it's just a report we've heard. Um, you know, who knows what kind of contact will is having with the company. Things might be gravy. I don't know, but let's just say that they're not copacetic right now and they want to bring him back. They might want to just stick to the company line for now and then maybe kind of leave the potential for a return down the line. Right. Uh, moving on to the next question here. Uh, pretty much kind of covered this. He said, if you were Gato based on the available roster, who would you put together for a heavyweight title match at Dominion? If Okada is available, I would go with Shingo versus Okada. Would that be enough to start changing the narrative that has been forming? Hmm. Yeah, my feeling too is like, Shingo's not beating Okada for the uh, for the title. So, you know, that's Shingo taking three losses back to back to back in big spots. That's my kind of concern there. Yeah, that that would be that would kind of hurt him with some of the momentum he's kind of built up. You could go back to Naito too. Yeah. Kind of give or, him or Tanahashi. Yeah, there's Got some options. There's there. several options there. I mean, uh yeah, Tanahashi, again, you can have that thing of him becoming, you know, winning the World Heavyweight title for the first time. And uh, I think, you know, Tanahashi's still a draw. Like you mentioned, the, the champion doesn't need to be a super Alice World draw right now because they, they could, they're they only putting putting 300 people in Cork in right now. Uh, right. Most, most of what I had said about Suzuki, you can apply to Tanahashi. It's almost the same situation. Both guys are legends. Both guys have credibility. Both guys are draws. Both guys have wrestled almost all their protected matches that are available. Uh, I think they both could make sense as being that guy. Yeah, the only problem I see with Tanahashi, I think a lot of people will see that as a really the big banded band aid going back to a guy like Tanahashi who hasn't really been in the title picture that much since he since he um, lost to Jay White in uh, 2019. Who he also just lost the never title to. Right. Um, but the thing, though, yeah, th- there is an aspect of that. And I don't know if that those feelings l- would linger with the domestic crowd. But I feel like there's a good chance that might just be more of a problem with, you know, like the foreign smarky groups like us. Mm-hmm. Because, because, I mean, he's still he's still Tanahashi, you know? Right. <laughs> And like, I don't, I don't think people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? They want to put the belt on Tanahashi's waist. I'm, I have a feeling people over there would probably welcome it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it would go over well, but I do think there would be a, a small subset, subset of fans that are like, oh, you know, back to Tanahashi, like nothing's moving forward right now kind of thing. So, cause I mean, Noah's got the, the strap on Muto and that seems to be working out for them. So yeah, I don't, yeah. Things seem know. to be seen. Things need to be lit over there. So, <laughs> um, Stale Burger Bun asks us, "How can we blame New Japan's current rumored state on AEW or WWE?" <laughs> um, uh, I mean, we could say that Tony Khan and Vince McMahon worked together to create COVID to damage think, New Japan. I think the thing that they've done is create a more competitive marketplace. That you know. Um, took a company that was somewhat comfortable in how they're handling their business dealings in new Japan. And it's now forcing them to sort of reevaluate how they do business with foreign talents, because there's a lot more places to work and a lot more money to be made 
And that's sort of what lured someone like Lance Archer away last year, you know? Right. Yeah. And the, but but I wouldn't blame how the company is right now on them. Right. I think I think he was just joking around. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I assume it's because there's toxicity with fans doing stuff like that, but I don't know. I Honestly, I feel like New Japan is, like, out of the zeitgeist, and it's just, like, a raging flame war between, like, AEW and WWE fans like New Japan fans are just sort of like this redhead stepchild over on the over on the side. New Japan fans just happen when anything good happens. I mean, you saw how happy people were with Narita uh, being on Dark Elevation, and uh, Rocky was on there as well. So anytime like the Forbidden Door gets open, people get super ecstatic about that. Nah, you know what that reminded me of? It's like um, I think a lot of <laughs> I think a lot of the. Uh, and I'm I'm just being funny here. This is kind of a joke, but like I think a lot of the people that were excited were like people who used to be New Japan fans, but who now watch AEW, and they're like, oh, they're bringing New Japan over, and it's like, bro, you could have been watching like the whole time, but you know you're happy because they put it on your channel instead of you know you watching on World, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like when um someone from like a blue state you know, leaves, goes to a red state, and then votes blue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Got to fix this shit over here, you know? Uh, next set of questions here from Dom Homie 101 If his thoughts on VOW reports of the whole Osprey situation, do you guys think there's some actual truth in this report? I'll tell you one thing. Uh, we've spoken about it but at length, but um, Joe and Rich don't lie. Yeah. They're not going to put their reputation and their livelihood on the line for clout. They're not even clout chasers. Like they're not going to lie. So, you know, could it, could there be inaccuracies because the report that was given to them might be inaccurate? Yeah, but they're not going to lie. Right. They, they are reporting what they are hearing, uh, what, what they're getting from their sources, which have been very reliable. They have broken news stories in the past that have been true. And so they're definitely a trusted source that I go to. I am, you know, I, I pay for the Patreon and get all the updates. So, I think the report is, from what they're saying, is accurate. Do you guys think that maybe New Japan should relocate to the States until things in Japan cool down? Maybe they could put the main talent on strong or maybe actually open the forbidden door. And I would say no. Yeah, I mean, the big issue with that is, you know, how, how are you going to make money? You can't make money with strong. Um, you know, if they want to, you know, try and do a, a, a U.S. tour and maybe move strong around and try and get money that way, maybe. But what are they going to do? They're going to run Arizona, California, or uh, Texas, Florida, and Nevada, just like AEW, WWE, and Ring of Honor are planning to do. It's like the most saturated market. Do you know how expensive? That was one of the things that Harold May was extremely criticized about was all the U.S. tours that they did because they cost so much money. Dude, to, to bring the production of New Japan over to America to try to run live touring dates, oh, my God. That would be, like, the worst business decision. They'd lose so much money. Yeah. I mean, it, in theory, that would be great to have New Japan shows in the U.S. for a little bit. But, yeah, no, business-wise, that's not a smart move. With Osprey being out of the picture for the time being, where do New Japan go from here? What should they do when it comes to crowning a new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion? Would crowning a new champion in G1 be a good idea? So I think we've kind of thrown out our speculations and stuff about that. One thing I do want to ask you, though, Jeremy, realistic timetable. 
you know, we've, we've given some ideas, but what do you think is actually going to happen when it comes to crowning a new champion? Um, and uh, and w- what's on the schedule, basically, to a lot for that? So I think that we're, we're going to see some kind of champion. I don't know if they're going to do a tournament, what they're going to do. So we're going to see a new champion crown Dominion. They've already been showing advertisements for Dominion, kind of showing the IWGB World Heavyweight title, showing Ibushi, Osprey, and there's been a, a real focus on that Dominion commercial on the champion. Also, I don't speak Japanese, so I'm not sure exactly what the commercial was saying, uh, but I feel like we'll see a champion crown then. Um, after tomorrow is the last televised Road to Wrestle Grand Slam tour, then next week there'll be three Road to Dominion tours that will lead then to Dominion. So also we've seen a little, a couple of feuds that are kind of started on these shows this week. So they could be leading to some kind of mini tournament, some kind of playing matches that they will do to to get the new champion. But yeah, I think the road to Dominion and Dominion will, you know, be the thing that gets us to our new champion. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the the schedule and everything, and it's like, I I think with there being three. Road to Dominion shows next week. There's not enough time for them to realistically do a tournament. I mean, they could if they make like a press release, but the way things have been going, I just don't think they're going to commit to that until if they were going to do a tournament, I could only see them doing a one night tournament at Dominion with maybe like, well, who knows? We don't even know what's on Dominion. They could do a one night 16-man tournament like, you know, WrestleMania 4 style if they wanted. Right. And I think, too, they probably haven't announced anything because, again, they're still kind of waiting on – because I'm sure – That's what I meant, yeah. They they, they want – I'm sure they're going to want Okada involved somehow in that tournament, so they're still waiting on him to recoup. And I'm sure they're going to want maybe a Jay White, a Tai Chi. They're going to want some of these guys that are on on the the bench right now in in this tournament. That's why I'm discounting the idea of them committing to anything between June 1st and 4th, uh, you know – I, I couldn't see them like, okay, we're going to start with the first eight guys, and then the four that get through are going to be in a one-night tournament at Dominion. Like, they're not going to do something like that because they don't even know who they have yet. And that's the one thing. Um, the very fact that it's been a week now, and there's been no announcement about what is happening with IWGP title, tells me that things are bad. And the company does not know what they're going to do. Or if they do, they are not telling us. And that's not a good sign. Right. We, we've seen in the past when, when champions get stripped, injured, the title's vacated, a, a, plan, a game plan is announced very quickly. You know, we saw with you know, the Mox situation where he was stripped of the U.S. title, like the, the Archer-Moxley or Archer-Juice Robinson match, like that was immediately – like announcing that that was immediately like turned into the title match. So we've seen in the past, like you know, Hiromu losing the belt. Like they 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 go to the tournament. Like they there's all these incidents we've seen in the past where people have to lose a belt through injury or can't get in the country or whatever, and they have a plan immediately. Yeah, well, I think that's going to do it for this coverage. This, we've got some other things to kind of talk about, but uh, yeah, I mean, we gave you almost an hour and a half of. Uh, audio on this so i feel like we've really exhaustively covered this for you guys yeah and there's a couple other things here that we kind of already mentioned also we mentioned um kazushiko okada tai chi being revealed uh, as two of the wrestlers who tested positive for covid19 uh, something else that you mentioned um japanese japan's top government spokesman hinted the possibility of extended 
the coronavirus state of emergency in Tokyo, Osaka, and seven other prefectures beyond the May 31st ex- expiration date, possibly until June 20th. And something else I've mentioned already, the Tokyo Dome is going to be used as a mass uh, vaccination center in August. So uh, moving on now to the Road to Wrestle Grand Slam Tour. Uh, we had televised shows from Cork and Hall on Monday, May 24th. Today, May 25th. And then there will be a third show airing uh, tomorrow, May 26th. So we can just kind of run through these results here. I don't really think we need to kind of give a, a blow by blow here. There are a couple things that are, are brewing from these shows. Um, kind of the first thing, um, it seems like Yoda Suji is almost like on, a, on a, a mini little trial series here. So he has a couple singles matches through this tour. So starting on uh, the 24th show, he faced off against Yujiro Takahashi. Um, was defeated by Udro uh, with the Pimp Juice, 8 minutes and 24 seconds. We then had Suzuki-Yun of Doki and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Gato. We had Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatango Tangaloa, defeating Tenzon and Hanma. Uh, post-match, there was a G.O.D. jaw-jacking at Tai Chi, and we know that with Sabre beating Tangaloa at Dontaku, that Dangerous Takers are getting a title shot. So I'm sure that's hoping as, as soon as Taichi gets better, I'm sure we'll get that tag title match in the future. Then the semi-main event, we had the United Empire of Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeating Kota Ibushi and Master Wato. So here they are continuing the Jeff Cobb-Kota Ibushi feud. Um, very heated here. Cobb using the Kamagoye on Master Wato followed by a tour of the islands to get the pin over Watto. And so it's kind of the post-match jaw-jacking, and so kind of adding some heat here between uh, Cobb and Abushi. And then the main event, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito defeating the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, and teamed up with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um... Interesting thing here, it seems to be starting some heat between Naito and Tomohiro Ishii uh, throughout the match. They're at each other's throats, and then post-match, they're, um, there's kind of like a pull-apart, and Ishii and Naito just really going at each other, and Ishii just really wanting to to take on Naito. Uh, comments from Ishii kind of saying, you know, Naito, do you, do you want a singles match, or do you, you want a never six-man title match? So, you know, if, it's, if the tournament's happening, you know, that could be a potential first-round match, Naito Ishii. Or maybe on one of these road twos, they're going to do a their six man chaos versus Lij for the titles. Uh, we'll see what comes from that, but definitely kind of starting something there with um, Naito Nishii. So then moving on to the second night of Road to Wrestle Grand Slam, we had uh, Chase Owens defeating Yota Suji, Package Power Driver, eight minutes thirty four seconds. We had Doki and Saber defeating Taiji Shimori and Yuji Takahashi. Tamatonga Tangaloa defeating Tenzon and Master Wato. Semi-main event, LIJ taking on Goto, Taguchi, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. And once again, like I mentioned, big focus on Ishii and Naito and them just really being at each other's throats uh, throughout the match and post-match. So definitely something's brewing there. And then the main event, we had uh, Golden Ace defeating the United Empire uh, Cobb once again trying to tease uh, Hitting Tanahashi with the Kamigoye Tanahashi was able to reverse Hit him with a sling blade Ibushi then hit Great Okan With his uh, Kamigoye 
One, two, three. Ibushi gets the win here. Some post-match jaw jackings. Obviously, the Kyle Ibushi match is coming. Will probably be at Dominion. It could be a part of how they determine the champion. And then uh, coming up on tomorrow's show, we will have Shingo versus Suji, which should be a really fun matchup to open the show there. Then we'll have Tanahashi, Tenzan, Wato taking on Taiji Shimori, Chase Owens, and Yujiro Takahashi. Saber and Doki taking on G.O.D., Kota Ibushi, and Hanma taking on Jeff Cobb and Great Okan. And then the main event will be Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi taking on Tetsuya Naito and Sonata. Young. Sounds sounds just, you know, earth-shattering. <laughs> any, any thoughts on, on the potential Naito-Ishi rivalry that's starting here? Um, no, I think pretty much at this point, like Naito hasn't done anything, um, much this year since, you know, dropping the belt. Um, you know, he had the, the little feud with, um, great Okan and kind of got his win back. And since then he's just kind of been floating. So, you know, I don't think he's a bad opponent. They've had great matches in the past, but, uh, at this very moment, it's not something that I'm like overly enthused about, but I'll give them the, the benefit of the doubt because there's a lot of, uh, you know, considerations. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on over to New Japan Strong. This past Friday, May 21st, we had night three of the Collision Tour uh, show open up. We had the return of Bateman. He defeated LA Dojo. Uh, young Lion, Alex Coughlin, 9 minutes and 43 seconds. Uh, Coughlin's uh, neck being kind of the, the target here for, for Bateman. Coughlin coming back from, from a neck injury, and so everybody's been targeting the neck here. Uh, Bateman gets the win here. Then we had the team of Brody King and Carl Fredericks defeating the team, filthy team of Dane Limelight, J.R. Kratos, with Fredericks hitting the manifest destiny on Dane Limelight. Get the win there. So once again, it seems like they're kind of building up Carl Fredericks um, for a potential strong title match. He he eliminated Filthy Tom the previous week in the battle royal in the uh, the four on four elimination match. And you know if Filthy gets by Dickinson, you could potentially have uh, Carl Fredericks as the next challenger in line. Yeah, and I don't think that's a, a bad way to go. Um... You know, with Carl Fredericks kind of being the next guy, but uh, we'll have to see how that all that all plays out. When I was watching this match, one thing I thought to myself is like, I don't know why, but I think Jr. Kratos and Brody King would be like the most badass tag team. You know? Oh yeah, that would be awesome. People really like when you have two opposites. You know, power guy and a high flyer. You know, fast guy and a slow guy. Blah blah. Nah, bro. Give me. Give me two hosses, you know, <laughs> G- give me a violent giants or like a strong BJ, you know, a road warriors, you know, Brody and Hanson. Give me two dudes that you're like, how do I, I don't know if I could beat one of them. How am I going to beat two of them? Right. And, um, why well, have one hoss when you could have two? Yeah. I want those guys to team up and just fuck everybody up. Like I would rather that, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this match is fine. I'm, I'm excited if that's the way they go for, Carl. Yeah. And uh, then the main event here, we had the first uh, no DQ match in strong history here as Fred Roster, Mr. No Days Off, defeats Hikaleo 15 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, what did you think about this match, young boy? 
I don't know, man. Did did you did you like this match? I don't think I really liked this match. I liked it. Uh, I know it wasn't the traditional, you know, New Japan style main event, but uh, I thought these guys worked really hard. They were hitting each other hard. Very very physical. Uh, kind of a, a walking brawl style match of very intense. You can tell like, these guys, you know, were in, were in a few that hated each other and brawling all throughout the arena. We saw them going back into the ring, ring truck and uh, fighting in there. And then also that there was the botch spot with, with the table or where both of them were supposed to go through. Um, yeah, that that was not good. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't look good, but they, they kind of worked through it there. And then, uh, yeah, Fred Rosser gets the big win here, wins the rivalry. Puts Hikaleo in the rear view, uh, cut it in passion promo post match, and he's he's gunning for the strong championship. Yeah, um, we'll see what happens with that. I, I this match was fine. I just couldn't get into it. In fact, this was not really my favorite episode of um, of Strong. Uh, it was fine. It was solid, but I didn't think it was like you know the strongest episode. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the main event was good. I thought it was great that they kind of gave Fred Rosser like the definitive strong kind of like uh, feud ending win, you know, because uh, the other time he won, you know, he kind of cheated and everything like that. So, you know, he picked up the big win here and it kind of makes him a viable potential opponent for the, cha- you know, to challenge for the title. But um, I don't know. I just I didn't feel this match. I know they worked hard, but I just wasn't into it. For whatever reason. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of mixed reviews on this match. It seems like cage match is very low on the match. It seems like grapple are kind of in, in the, the, the mind thinking of where I'm at with the match. I, mean, I was about three and a half on it. Uh, that's, I mean, that's probably what I'd go to. I mean, that sounds fair. They worked hard. It's probably three and a half. I mean, I haven't looked at any of the ratings, so I don't know. Yeah, grapple. It was like a, a four point something on grapple, meaning it was like two stars in, in a lot of the grapple users' minds, but. I've been not grab excuse me a cage match uh mine um uh, the cage match inmates but I don't know I, I thought it was a good man game mid event it's been built up for a while now that they've had a history of the rivalry um you know starting with Fred um cheating to beat him and then they had the New Japan Cup match where Hikaleo got the win back and so yeah it's it's been a nice little feud like we mentioned it it's good to have feuds on this show and so this is one of the you know bigger feuds that they've had and kind of get blowed off here and they are setting the stage of, of establishing guys who could be potential uh, challengers for the open weight championship. So then uh, coming up next week, we will have the conclusion of the collision tour this uh, Friday, May 28th. Uh, we'll have the wild rhino Clark Connors taking on AJZ. We'll have El Fantasmo taking on Wheeler, Utah. And then we will have the big main event that's been built up now for these last several weeks. The strong open weight championship on the line as filthy Tom Lawler defends against the dirty daddy Chris Dickinson. And if you haven't checked it out, make sure you check out our interview that we did last week with the dirty daddy as you get ready for uh, this Friday's strong title match. Uh, we did have a question here from Grunty Dodds. This is a piggyback on last week's interview. What are some of your favorite Chris Dixon matches outside of NJPW? I like him a lot from what I've seen, but I've only caught half a dozen of his GCW bouts. Oh, man, that's a tough question. I mean, um, you know, I watched Chris for a while, but, I mean, he's also been in some of the 
less accessible companies, you know, like Beyond, like GCW, um, places like that. But yeah, if I'm thinking about it, he had a um, one of the matches I really like. 2019, he had a match with uh, Sakamoto from like July of that year. That's one of like my favorite matches that he's had. Um, he last last week he talked about the um, the match when they toured Japan with GCW. He had against uh, Okabayashi. That match is really 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 good. Um, most of his blood sport stuff, uh, people really tend to like the Mox match from the Indianapolis blood sport show. Um, that stuff's really good. <laughs> he's got a lot of good stuff out there. Like he's pretty much wrestled everybody, uh, on the indie scene, you know, recently. Yeah. Even like looking at some of the beyond stuff and GCW, like a uh, lot, he has a lot of good inter- intergender matches that are out there too. He had a great match with, uh, Chris Statlander. Uh, that's out there. That was in uh, GCW, uh, oh, you know what? You know it's one of them, and I think it's free on YouTube. Dickinson against Samoa Joe from House of Glory in 2015, when Joe was on his, uh, you know, on his indie run mm-hmm. just prior to, when he was like, you know, just signed to NXT. That's a really cool match. It might not be like the best match, but that's a cool one. Um, the match he had this past WrestleMania weekend. Um, he wrestled Joey Janela, right? Or was it not Janela? Who did he wrestle at Spring Break? Um, I'm blank. Did he? I think that? he did wrestle Joey Janela, didn't it, he? It might have been Janela, yeah. He did. That match is awesome. If you guys haven't gotten a chance to check that match out, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, Chris has had a, a, t- a ton of great matches. and There's a ton of great stuff in Evolve, too. I really enjoyed him and Jaka um, as a team. Yeah. So you can check out a lot of their tag matches. Yeah, the um, the Brian Cage PWG match that he referenced last week from 2016 is very good as well. Yeah, the um, he was part of what, Catchpoint? Yeah, they were Catchpoint, and then I think they broke off, and they were the Doom Patrol, I think, was their team. Once. That's right, Doom Patrol. Yeah, they were, they were really good. Um the I thought the match that they had in Ebor against uh, Street Profits. Street, Street Profits is very good. Yeah, that that was a pretty good main event that we saw that night in the Orpheum. So yeah, there's a lot of really really good stuff out there. Oh, he had a match with um Matt Mikowski in Beyond last year that that was very good, like really 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 good. Um, that's worth checking out too. So I mean, yeah, that, that's a lot of stuff right there. <laughs> Yeah, and also keep an eye out on all the stuff he's doing now. I mean, he's still doing Beyond GCW, uh, Ring of Honor. He's going to be in the Survival of the Fittest tournament for Ring of Honor that's coming up. Um, did did they have him tap Tracy Williams like in seconds? Uh, I saw I saw him tap someone um, in ROH the other day from a, and they said it was like one of the fastest matches in ROH history. But like he put someone in a, in a rolling knee bar, it looked like, and I thought it was Tracy. But I wasn't sure if that's who it was. It could have been. I, I know Tracy Williams just dropped the the TV title to Tony Deppin, so maybe that that could have been a follow up match after that. And because hmm. uh, Deppin's a part of uh, the Violence faction with Brody and Dickinson and Homicide, so maybe yeah. that was. A- but I guess we should just you know the, this is the big match coming up. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, um, they've had one match prior and. 
uh, beyond. I'm I'm looking I'm really looking forward to this, but I mean, who do you think wins? Um, I mean, as much as I would love, you know, see Dirty Daddy succeed and get a big win, I I do think that uh, Filthy Tom, by hook or by crook, is going to get the win here. I think they're going to use him and kind of establish him, um, establish his championship. And so I do think, and pretty much based on what they've been building up on the undercard, we're seeing baby faces like Carl Fricks being ready, Fred Rosser being ready, I feel like we're going to get a, a nice, you know, decent length run here of Lawler taking on some bay faces and strong. Yeah, that's sort of what it's feeling like, especially since he just won the title. It might be a little too premature to uh, take the title off of him, which is one of the reasons that I originally didn't think they should do this match necessarily, although I'm excited for it because I want to see it. Um, I felt like it was – I thought maybe there's some more juice you could get out of the squeeze, especially considering who these two guys are. But um, I'm excited for it, you know. Um, I haven't really been super, super enthused for a strong match since, like this, since probably, yeah, since when um, Tom Waller won the title. So really looking forward to this episode. Can't wait. And, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, really looking forward to it. I think this will be one of the, the better strong main events of the year. It'll be kind of up there as one of those really top matches. I think these guys are going to work really hard. I think it's going to be very hard hitting. I think we're going to see a lot of great uh, grappling, chain wrestling, submission wrestling, kind of maybe a little shoot style might turn into a little, a little blood sport action here. Uh, but yeah, this should be a great main event. I think everybody should go out of their way to check out this main event uh, this Friday. With uh, in the news this week, Kota Bushi described his injury as a sprained or torn ligament in his instep. He said he got it on the landing during the spot where Tetsuya Naito gave him a Frankensteiner off the top rope on the 1-4 Tokyo Dome match. He was told the best thing for it was to not move or put weight on the instep for three months, but he said he has no choice as champion and had to defend the title um, for 48 minutes the next night against Jay White. So that's kind of the ongoing um, you know, injury that he's been uh, dealing with. Forbidden door news. I feel like we should have like a. Uh, you need to get something on your sound machine there. Like <laughs> yeah. <a whore. laughs> the forbidden door. Yes. Uh, uh, in Impact, Finjuice lost the Impact Tag Team titles to Violent by Design. That's the team of Rhino and Jadoring this past week, and the announcement was made that uh, Kojima will be debuting on Impact this very week. That's right, my man Satoshi Kojima. Bread Club is coming to Impact. I'm sorry, Kenny. You need to hold the strongest arm. Drop the impact roll title to my man, Kojima. Let this man run Tennessee for a little bit. <laughs> AEW, uh, Ren Narita wrestled Hoist Isaacs at, on Dark and defeated him. So big win for Ren on his excursion. And Rocky Romero defeated J.D. Drake. And post-match, um, the faction that J.D. Drake is a part of, the wingmen, um, attacked Rocky Romero, which prompted the Rapongi Vice music to blare over the system. Out comes um, Trent Beretta. He cleared house, and it created a moment for the reunion of Rapongi Vice. Yeah, great, great little use here on uh, Dark Elevation. It was great to see Rocky and Trent back together. And the fact that they, they even booked that, and yeah, they had the Rapongi Vice music. Uh, that that was pretty cool to see, and 
Uh, I found it very interesting that Ren Narita, he didn't come out to the L.A. Doja music like he's been coming out to on Strong. He had his own music, uh, own custom Titantron. So I'm wondering if we're going to see that kind of spill back over to Strong. I don't think so. I, I'm, I w- if I was taking a guess, I bet you that was like an AEW thing. Mm. Yeah. Which might mean maybe he's going to continue to make dates on AEW. Which, yeah, which would be pretty cool. Um, Which, I mean, him picking up a win over, like, Royce Isaacs, I mean, I don't know, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Final thing here. In Ring of Honor, Fred Yehi defeated Rocky Romero on the same night that he defeated J.D. Drake. So that was pretty crazy. Yeah, Rocky Romero, this man, is, you know, pulling a Rick Rude, showing up on two companies on the same night. (laughs) Uh, Rocky, he's working very hard. He wants to win the Keeping It Strong Style excursion match of the year. This man is wrestling all over the place. He's wrestling in Ring of Honor, AEW, Bloodsport. He he wants he wants that excursion match of the year. Yeah, he wrestled on MLW everywhere. Yeah, MLW. Yeah, this this man. He, you know, he's trying to get some consideration we, here. We need to give him an award just for being like the excursion representative of the year. Like, it's not even something that's voted on. It's just like we just give it away. You know, you've been more places. <laughs> the the excursion MVP. Yeah, he's the excursion MVP. Uh, we should call it the ambassador of New Japan. Yeah. The ambassador award, you know. <laughs> Just call this man out. Uh, one thing that's not on the list here, but um, this past week, the um, Dark Side of the Ring episode detailing the collision in Korea aired. And they even had a uh, exclusive interview on that episode with uh, one, the founder of New Japan, Antonio Inoki. And that episode detailed the... Uh, um, co-promoted show between WCW and New Japan when they went to North Korea back in 1995. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Did you see that episode, Jeremy? I have not got you to see it yet. I'm definitely going to try and watch it this week. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. I thought it was really great. The only thing I will um, say, and I, I don't want to get too far into it, but uh, they they told the story of Ricky Dozen's death and framed it um, and this actually came from Eric Bischoff as though he was murdered in Japan due to the racial tensions between um, Japanese and North Korean people. And with, you know, Ricky Dozen secretly being a North Korean individual, that that's why he got killed, which is not true. Like even a little bit. In fact, that is actually what they teach children um, in Korea. Um, they They teach them that he was murdered in Japan for his heritage. And he's like a great like hero and sporting figure, but it's not accurate at all. There's about four or five different versions of what happened when Ricky Dozen was murdered. So I I won't go deep into that, but none of the the truthful versions ever talk about him being Korean as being the, the catalyst for his death. So I, I did not like that the, um, that they kept that in there because it's like, you know, typically that show's pretty, pretty good and they try to be pretty reputable. But, um, I mean, that was just like something that is, it's not even kind of true, you know? Yeah. And Meltzer was talking about that this weekend and, and told, you know, one of the you know, truer stories that he heard about the whole incident and how he got, um, and his, his death there. And it kind of mentioned, I think it was Eric Bischoff was the one that was kind of telling that story and, yeah, he just like threw it out there, and then they kept it. And I'm like, why? You, why would you keep this? You know, it's like uh, it just—it's not true. <laughs> yeah, 
And uh, jumping down, we, we did have a question about this uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring. And so, uh, Don Hui 101 said, any thoughts on the recent Collision in Korea episode of Vice's Dark Side of the Ring? Also, any thoughts on the entire series? What are your favorite episodes of the series? His are the Herb Abrams, New Jack, and David Schultz. Oh, very interesting. I, I liked the episode a lot. Um, one thing, though, I did kind of feel like was while the entire event was super surreal and they did a good job getting, you know, some great people involved, especially Scott Norton and Too Cold Scorpio were especially good on this this week's episode. I kind of felt like they were um, struggling to have strong content for it, you know, um, almost like they they really delved heavy into an ongoing issue between um, Hawk and Too Cold Scorpio. If, if you haven't seen Jeremy, you should definitely check it out. Uh, it's pretty interesting and everything, but it's like, I don't know. They, it just felt like there was was not as much content in this week's episode as there usually is because, you know, I mean, how much can you really get out of a two- to three-day trip that they took to North Korea? I mean, it's super interesting, but I felt like there wasn't as much there as other ones, you know? Yeah, yeah they're like, they were stretching it out. Yeah, I felt like they stretched it out a little bit. That's a good way to put it. Um, but, yeah, I love the series. I think it, all the episodes are very, very good. Um, I mean, the episode – I like the Gino Hernandez episode. Um, the Owen episode was especially great. The Benoit episodes. Yeah. Uh, I really enjo- uh, enjoyed you know, the, the opening of this season with the two uh, Pillman episodes. Those were really good. The Von Erich episodes were great. So yeah, some really good stuff there. I I, I I can't wait for the Warrior episode that's about to come out. <laughs> yeah, I think wasn't it, wasn't it this past weekend because they had. I, the, I don't know, man. I, I catch them like on a different. I catch them uh, different. If it, if it's out, I'm gonna find it after this and watch it. Because so. yeah, I, I know I definitely know the the A and E Warrior documentary. The A and E one came out. Yeah, and so I knew. I don't it, think I don't think the Dark Side's out yet. Gotcha. Maybe it's this coming up Thursday. Uh, yes, should be. Um, and two last things here in the news. Uh, the free match of the week is Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks versus Yotosuji and Renarita from the G1 Climax 2029, 20, Day 19. Uh, since, uh, I remember that tag being good. Yeah, it, w- it was really good. Yeah. Um, and then Token Shop Global is presenting a Jushin Thunder Liger online meet and greet on June 2nd. So go to Token Shop Global. You know, to register, look up that information, and I think that's open to you know stateside fans. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so now we're gonna wrap, wrap the show up here with a few last questions and recommended match of the week. Uh, so Viking Paint says, "How much donations would it take for the six-three young boy to carry the five-six Matt Seidel on his shoulders to the ring on an episode of Dynamite, a la Devitt and Fale?" I could ask Matt and find out. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's let's get it set. I'll text him and he'll give me an answer, and then we'll let you know. And then you just PayPal me, and then I'll be I'll be sure that you know that happens. <laughs> um, he also asks, "I'm sure you guys isn't isn't it interesting, Viking Pain? You're like literally four degrees of separation away from TK himself. You know, <laughs> you call, you send something to me, I send it to Matt, Matt sends it to TK, and then." We play telephone back, and then you give me money. It works out. <laughs> uh, he also asks, I'm sure you guys heard about Wilder Fury 3. So who you got? Do you think Fury 
will dominate the fight again, or will Wilder learn from his mistakes and finally be able to land that one punch and knock him out? Yeah, um, so for those of you that don't know, long story short, Fury was going to fight Joshua. They hold all the, the, the world titles at heavyweight, so it's going to be a, a unification of all the world titles. For, for, but for the most part, most pundits view Fury as the official lineal and Ring Magazine world champion. But this is going to kind of put it to rest. And there was a date set and everything. Wilder had a uh, a rematch clause, and he went to court and won his court case. And now that fight is not happening, and now Fury is having to fight Wilder again for a third time. And in the meantime, Alexander Usyk who is the WBO mandatory and he's the former undisputed cruiserweight champion. And he's also an undefeated fighter is going to be fighting Joshua. And I'll tell you, I'll throw this one in for a freebie. I think Usyk could knock out Joshua and maybe not knock him out, but he could beat Joshua. I definitely feel that way. That's going to be a great fight if it does happen. But um, in the meantime, Wilder Fury three, I think it's open and shut for Fury. I mean, every fight's different. So who knows? if he doesn't come in motivated or something like that. But I, I don't know what Wilder can do differently from a, you know, from a uh, match or from like a, uh, from a game plan standpoint to beat Fury, you know, well, well, there's Fury one thing he can of, do not walk out with that, that big entrance gear. Cause also that, that hindered his performance. Apparently that's what he, yeah, that's what he claimed, you know? So <laughs> Yeah, this man got his ass beat and got knocked out last time. So, <laughs> yeah, he needs to he needs to learn how to fight going backwards because that's what was his undoing. He couldn't fight going backwards. Um, he needs to be the one coming forward against against Fury. Uh, he might want to put on some weight too. He might want to put on some weight and try to muscle Fury. I don't know, man. It's it's, it's not looking good for him to be honest with you. I think it's I think it's a bad fight for him. He he hasn't even had a tune up fight. So yeah. Uh, next question. Here. I got Fury easily. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the, the boxing expert, but I have seen their first two fights, but I'm, I'm going to go with Fury also. Uh, next question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Have you guys checked out the Hannah Kimura Memorial Show? Why are Bushi Road and or Stardom coming across as dicks by not letting them use their footage and putting on a show on the same date? Uh, so I have not watched the Hannah more memorial show yet i did hear it was awesome i do want to check it out and heard that kagetsu and hazuki were back in action for that uh show and it was cool uh, i was not aware of bushi road or stardom not using letting allowing the use footage for this memorial show and i didn't realize that there was a another bushi road show that was running up against the memorial show um yeah, I haven't seen it. I didn't know about any of that stuff. I heard good things about the show. Um, yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's just some kind of licensing deal, whatever, that they couldn't. Who knows? Maybe. Let, let me ask this next part. Also, how would you feel if New Japan brought a couple of these indie talents to fill out their cards? Wrestlers like Hub, H-U-B, Hub. Jeremy, do you know who, who Hub is? I do not. Okay, what about this one? Mill Mongoose. I do not know Mr. Mongoose. 
Really? You don't know the the luchador legend Mil Mongoose? No, I do not. <laughs> okay. Well, what about this young upstart, fiery babyface, Shota Guerrero? I do not know Shota Guerrero. I know I know oh, Shota that's... Umino. I know I know a, a, a Chavo Guerrero. I do not know a, a Shota Guerrero. All right. Well, you got to know this one. This deathmatch legend, Banana Senga. I'm failing you, man. I don't, I don't know who Banana Senga is. Well, everybody knows Laundry Muto, so that's that's a slam dunk, right? I, I don't know who that is either. Yeah, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I've never heard of a single one of these people. Uh, he said, "Why haven't they brought on Shima and Stronghearts? They've already competed almost everywhere in Japan." And I don't know the answer to that either. Yeah, I mean, it seems like right now that Shima and the Stronghearts. It seems like isn't like Gleet kind of like the next big thing they're trying to get involved in. Well, he's like the All Japan Junior Champion. They've literally wrestled everywhere. Big Japan, I think DDT, All Japan, you know, I I think they might have even done some Noah. So they've been everywhere. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I, I would love that. Uh I think Shima's really cool and you know, strong hearts were it was gonna be a cool kind of thing to have in AEW, but due to the pandemic they haven't been able to get there. So I, I think adding Shima and the strong hearts would be uh, you know, a nice little, you know, shot of adrenaline to the roster and some fresh matchups and the fresh uh, feuds you can do there. Next question. MJ does PR says Lance Archer appeared to want to fight Mox after his match with Nagata. Would the IWGP committee allow for such a challenge? Uh, I mean, at this point, who who knows what the, the IWGP would allow and not allow. Uh, it's Rocky. <laughs> Rocky's the committee. I'm pretty sure Rocky's the U.S. committee. Just him, he acts solely. He's a single-person <laughs> committee. Uh, I mean, I think it would be cool. Um, I'll say I don't think they want to take the belt off Mox, so Archer would have to lose. Um, so I think as long as Mox wins, I think it would be pretty cool to kind of do like a U.S. title rematch on Dynamite or, or Pay-Per-View or one of these TNT you know, quarterly specials that's going to happen and have Mox defend the title against Archer. I think it would be cool. Time for Fight Talk. Dom Homie 101 asks, thoughts on the surprise announcement of Errol Spence Jr. and Manny Pacquiao? And I got to tell you, I am super excited for this. Um, I feel bad for Manny Pacquiao because I believe Errol Spence Jr. is probably going to beat him pretty badly. Um, This is coming from someone that believes wholeheartedly that Keith Thurman easily won uh, a, a probably like split points decision against Manny. Uh, although I know Manny knocked him down early in the fight. Like look at the numbers, go back and watch that fight. Like I'm hard pressed to be told that, that Keith Thurman didn't outbox Manny Pacquiao that night. And I think Errol Spence is younger, faster, hits harder, you know, than, than, and he's a better fighter than Keith Thurman was. And that was a couple years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I think if it was, um, Bud Crawford, he knocks out Manny Pacquiao. With Errol Spence, I think Errol Spence beats him. Um, also, look at what Errol Spence did to, like, uh, Ryan – or, um, God, who was it that he fought from lightweight? Uh, one of the Garcias. But, yeah, I, I, I think Manny – this will be, like, one of, like, Manny's last big welterweight, um, you know, matches, fights, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jeremy doesn't have anything to add to that. So thoughts on the so-called U.S. boxing media and analysts being mad at Deontay Wilder for getting justice that he's entitled to. I think the reality here, though, you got to – is he contractually obligated to get a title fight? Yes. Is this something that he's deserving to get another payday? 
based on the agreement from the from the second fight between him and Fury, yes. But that man got the break speed off him. I mean, so bad that like, why the fuck would you want to fight again? You know right. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And that's why people are mad. No one wants to see that. What we want to see is Joshua and Fury unify all the titles in the biggest fight in British boxing history. We don't want to see the second massacre of Deontay Wilder. I'd much rather Deontay Wilder go back to just knocking fools out and building himself back up. So I think that's why the media is just like, from a logical place, it's like, sure. Does he, you know, legally deserve the fight? Yeah. But I think there should be a rule. You get an automatic rematch unless you get fucked up in six rounds (laughs) if you get fucked up in six rounds you don't get a rematch you know (laughs) right only if it's like super close maybe it was a also a a draw somehow on the the scoreboard like a very close fight it should be called the deontay wilder rule if you get (laughs) fucked up in six rounds you don't get a rematch yeah like (laughs) you can't win a single round (laughs) three matches null and void (laughs) yeah it's like bro no what the fuck no one wants to see that so um and then the last thing he said, this is not a question, but I'm recommending the upcoming Devin Haney and Jorge Linares bout. Devin Haney has some big tools and potential to become a big name in this game of boxing. I think the fight will be a breakout performance of, uh, for Devin Haney. I agree. Jorge Linares is a bad man, though, so we'll see. Nice. Well, uh, speaking of recommending and recommendations, we have recommended match of the week. So last week I recommended for us to watch the King of Wrestling 2013 IC title match between Shinsuke Nakamura and Naomichi Marafuji. Young boy, what do you think about this match? Yeah, I um, I don't know how to... Oh, I'm sorry. Danny Garcia. <laughs> That's who... Uh, no, no, no. Mikey... Okay, so he beat up Danny Garcia recently, um, Errol Spence, but back in 2019, he fucked up Mikey Garcia. So that's why I was getting confused there. Anyways... Um, moving on yeah i love this match man i don't know if i'd ever seen it previously um but it was really 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 good um and i thought it told a really interesting story in that nakamura was taking marifuji a little bit for granted and kind of playing games with him and marifuji like literally taught him like i'm not the one (laughs) yeah you know like you do not want to fuck with me like you know i'm not not something to play with and, yeah, he was beating the fuck out of Nakamura in this match. And Nakamura kept trying to get back into the match. And Marafuji just kept cutting him off, like, all throughout the early portions of the, of the match. And then, eventually, it was the striking acumen of Nakamura that allowed him to work his way back into the match. And I think the roles kind of got reversed a little bit in that... Um, while I do think Marafuji was looking for submissions and trying to submit um, Nakamura throughout the match, there I, I noticed there was a clear lack of pinfalls, and, and he wasn't really trying to get Nakamura out of there the way he could have earlier. And that gave the wiggle room for Nakamura to finally land the two deciding Bombay and knee strikes at the very end that allowed him to win. But there was not, very, there was not a lot of near falls in this match. It was just... Really fast-paced, high-octane wrestling, and Marafuji busting out all of his awesome offense and kind of giving Nakamura a wrestling lesson. 
yeah, this was an awesome matchup. Very hard-hitting, high pace. I love Marifuji. I love going back and watching his stuff in New Japan. And he's a guy that I, I would love for him. I know he's kind of tied up with uh, Noah, right? Uh, right now. Uh, yeah. I would love for him to, you know, he's a great name that they could maybe work out some kind of agreement to bring him in to do stuff for New Japan in this time where you kind of need some more domestic talent coming in. I would love for him to be brought in. But, yeah, Marifuji's awesome. Yeah, I give this a big recommend. If you haven't seen it, go out of your way to watch it. I'd probably rate it, I don't know, four and a half? Yeah, that's about where I was with four and a half. Yeah, great match. Really, really enjoyable. And it's a little bit of a hidden gem there. So, um I enjoyed this quite a bit. So what is the recommended match for this week? Okay, we're going back to the year 1997 for the New Japan Pro Wrestling Fighting Spirit 1997 show from February 9th. This is available on New Japan World, so it's there. The main event with the J-Crown title on the line. It is the challenger, Shinjiro Otani, taking on the champion, Jushin Thunder Liger. Dave Meltzer rated this match at the time four and three quarters as a 9.09 on cage match. Sounds great to me. That should be a fun match to check out there. And, you know, just for shits and giggles, there is a Koji Kanemoto on the same show. Koji Kanemoto defeats Takamichinoku in the oh, semi-main event. I'm watching that, too. <laughs> he defeats Taka in the semi-main event to be the J-Crown title number one contender. Five days later, Koji Kanemoto and Jushin Thunder Liger have another four and three quarter star match for the J Crown. So, you know, you kind of got a, a little tandem of uh, Liger uh, J Crown title defenses back to back there. So, nice. Well, I'm definitely going to check out the recommended match, check out all those other matches. You know, you, you say Kanemoto, sign me up. You say Liger, sign me up. So, uh, should be some great stuff there to check out. And that's going to wrap things up for us this here at Keeping a Strong Style for this week. Uh, make sure you go out and check out the Social Suplex Draft episode. Listen to the uh, the roster that Josh and I uh, drafted. And then be on the lookout next week for the uh, part two of the draft, which every team will reveal the cards for uh, the draft and the cards that you guys can vote on. So we'll definitely need you guys to vote once the voting is open. Uh, but you already know that Josh and I are going to come up with a fire card just like we did last year. So check it out and join in on, on the draft fun. Let us know who you think has the best roster. Tweet us, tweet at Social Suplex. Let us know what you thought about this year's draft. And next week we'll be back to review what's happening on the Road to Dominion Tour and hopefully some kind of announcement on what's happening with the IWGP World Heavyweight title. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. Also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we are at social suplex. On Reddit, you can uh, find me, the pro black guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, jeremy at social suplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have Funnation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. We have the Grave Consequences podcast of Caleb and Maserati. 
We have 8-Bit Suplex with Josh number 2. We have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And then we have Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.